Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for December 2022, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with author Mitchell Cohen about his book, Looking for the Magic, New York City, the 70s, and the Rise of Arista Records. Looking for the Magic is a cultural historical remix that's a fresh perspective on how Arista Records reflected its time and place, New York in the 70s and early 80s, through interviews with dozens of artists and executives. Music journalist Mitchell Cohen goes inside the business of making and marketing music during a vibrant and very diverse period under label leader Clive Davis Rock, pop, punk, jazz, R&B, disco, cabaret, and Broadway were all represented on Arista. The label sounded like the city it was at the geographical center of. From its inception as a new entity built on the pop and soul foundation of Bell Records to groundbreaking artists like Gil Scott Heron and Patti Smith to revitalize legends like the Kinks and Aretha Franklin, up to its launching of its biggest star, Whitney Houston, Arista Records' story has never been told like this. I began my interview with Mitchell Cohen by asking about his time working for Arista Records and how this book came about. I started working at Arista when I was in my 20s. It was uh, 1977, yeah, around there. Uh, and I started in the publicity department and I was writing bios and press releases and stuff and eventually became an A&R guy, you know, you know, for, on, uh, for the label under, under Clive Davis. And, um, when the opportunity came to write a book about the label, um, I drew on my experiences for sure, but I also wanted to contact a lot of the people that, I had worked with and artists that that I'd worked with and and sort of get a fuller picture of of, of what was going on then and there you know in the New York in in the, in the 70s and early 80s you look at the roster of Arista and I just love the range I mean you've got mainstream top top artists Barry Manilow Whitney Houston Aretha Franklin and then you've got Patti Smith you've got Gil Scott Heron you've got my god Anthony Braxton an avant-garde saxophonist talk about a label with range um and talk about Clive Davis who who put this label together what what a visionary person isn't he he yes he he is for sure uh, you know uh, you know i was a little intimidated when i first met him you know because obviously i'd known his reputation and i was just like i was i was like the new kid at the label you know and but he has never been anything but supportive and encouraging to me and the, one of the reasons i wanted to tell the story is because beyond like you know the twin peaks of like barry manilow and whitney houston there was a lot that was going on that was not aimed at mainstream radio. It was not aimed at pop success. It was, it it, it was an acknowledgement of artistry. It, it was finding someone like like a Patti Smith or Gil Scott Heron or or an Anthony Braxton, and allowing them to be them. You know, you know, and you know, Arista has a reputation as being a pop record label, and certainly there's no 
shame in that. I mean, we had a lot of huge, huge pop hits, you know, in the 70s and beyond. But I, what I wanted to give was like a more expansive view of what was happening when, when you know, I, I was a huge fan of the Kinks and, you know, I was excited to go work for the label that had signed the Kinks and, and, and the Grateful Dead and, um, and later on, you know, Iggy Pop. And uh, it just, it just seemed to me that when I got that job, I had gotten a job at the epicenter of, of, of the music scene in New York City at that moment in time. And, you know, I, I was tremendously excited and grateful for the opportunity to be there and, and wanted in this book, like I said, even though I'm not a character in it, uh, to convey some of that excitement. Yes, I'm also a massive, massive Kinks fan, have been for a long, long time. The Kinks, before they signed Arista, uh, were with RCA. They were doing interesting albums, as they always do, uh, but they were doing these quote-unquote concept albums for RCA that really weren't selling all that well here, and they just got completely rejuvenated. They find, found their biggest success ever in the U.S. after yeah. they signed Arista, correct? That's absolutely true. I was there, you know, I, I not for the first Arista album, but starting with Misfits, I was yeah. I was yeah. there, and and watched that trajectory of them going from this cult band kind of that had been one of the most important bands of the British invasion, and then sort of their success had kind of waned in America. And then had a little burst in the early 70s with like Lola and, and some stuff. And then with low budget and give the people what they want. I was going to kink shows where they're headlining at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> you know, they, they, you know they, that, that, that reversal of fortune for the kings was one of the most fun things to witness. Because, you know, they'd always been certainly one of the most respected bands of, of their time. And certainly ranked up there with like you know, you know, you know, the who and the stones, you know, in that first tier of British invasion bands, but to, you know, to see what happened to them later on, I mean, you know, with the, you know, with the, you know, the hits they had on Arista, it, it just, I mean, it just goes to show you, if you don't bank on Ray Davies being able to write hit songs, you know, what are you doing in the music business? I mean, cause <laughs> you know, you know, you never know, he'll come up with one, you know, at a left field, you know, and, and, and turn everything around. He's, you know, he's one of the great songwriters of our time. Tell us a, a little bit too about Patti Smith again. I mean, I can remember buying those early albums, it's such a important influential artist, but again, not an, you know, not an automatic com bankable commercial artist ever in her career. It took a lot of guts to, to sign someone like her. I, I think so too. Horses was a very, very influential album for me. And, oh. you know, to be able to go to work for the record company that had put horses out, I mean, that was kind of like enough for me. And then I, I was in the audience at the, the first show she ever played because the night, um, yeah, you know, she, we didn't know the song. We'd never heard it before. The album was in the works. Um, she had not shared it with anyone at the label, but you know, she did it at, at, at a show. You know, in, in you know, and Springsteen came out and sang it with her. And you know, to be in that room and to realize, oh, this might be the record that turns everything around for her. You know, you know, to be at the premiere of that song and then be able to go back to Arista 
the next day or, or the day after and say like i think patty's got her hit i think mm -hmm. you know this the song is gonna the song is gonna explode and thank thank goodness we were right and it was like the first time she ever got played on on pop radio and and it became a song that she plays right you know she probably probably played it somewhere in the, last night you know, for all, you know. <laughs> uh it's you know it's it's a part of it it's a true collaboration without being an actual collaboration she, she took a springsteen idea and made it into a patty smith song and you know it's a i think it's a masterpiece i think it's a quintessential arista record Mitchell, before you got to fly, name name one more artist, one one more story, just really close to your heart. It was really special. Who you write about in your book? Who was with Arista Records? Uh, I loved working. Uh, I loved getting to know. Uh, God, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where to start. But to see Gil Scott Heron live, um, I didn't work with him. I met him a few times, but his work was so influential and so visionary and so incendiary that you know you you know you'd see him see him at the a club like the bottom line and you just realize you realize now in retrospect how much of an influence he had i mean how 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 political he was and socially conscious he was how he how combined elements of funk and jazz uh, you know he you know he you know he deserves like all, all the accolades in the world and uh, you know i think if one thing you know i think he's one of the artists in this book that people need to go back and discover if they if they don't know him already mm. Well said. Oh, such a pleasure to talk to you. I, I'm just, I'm really enthralled with, with the book. And yes, I'd forgotten about Z Records. My God, James White, Lizzie Mercier, Day Clue. I forgot that they, that they so were part weird. of the family. I mean, it's like, and and they, Ian Dury and the Blockheads on Stiff. I mean, the fact that we that Arista ended up distributing Stiff Records for a short period of time. Yeah. I mean, who would have thunk it? I mean, it just, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was a, it was a wild and fun time and you know to be you know in your 20s and have your first record industry job and that's where you are you know i you know i look back on it fondly and and i wanted to convey in this book just like what a what a eclectic and 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 an adventurous place it was to work thanks for listening to martin bandike undercovers for december 2022. This is our final podcast for the Ann Arbor District Library. It has been a pleasure and an honor hosting these podcasts for the last nine years or so. Our interview was with Mitchell Cohen about his book, Looking for the Magic, New York City, the 70s and the Rise of Arista Records. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. Thanks for listening. Is wishing you the bluest sky And hoping something better comes tomorrow Hoping all the verses rhyme And the very best of chorus has to follow up